Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm an experienced registered yoga teacher with over 15 years of teaching experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. I strongly support and value the uniqueness of all individuals and provide a safe community where diversity is embraced. Through my mentorship and signature program called the Blueprint Learning Program, I help yoga teachers build their skills in the area of learning anatomy, and along with that, help them learn important business skills and personal development ways of being that will transform them into purpose-driven teachers who make a big impact. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. For more information and to get on the wait list for any of my programs, see my website, barebonesyoga.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 208. So here we are. I am recording this on Thursday, October 6th, 2022. And this will go live on the 10th, Monday. And the last episode I recorded, if you listen to episode 207, I'd recorded on my birthday, which was a week ago today. And uh, so here it is a week later, a week older. And um, I had a really wonderful birthday. And thank you again, uh, if you sent me a little uh, email or comment on Instagram, I really appreciate it. And um, I had a good birthday. It was good to uh, pass another year and just be filled with the anticipation of, of the year ahead. And um, I'll also share something with you. I know in one of the most recent episodes, I think it might've even been last week, I talked a little bit about money and money management and self uh, and beliefs about money. And I had this really interesting conversation with a coach that I'm working with, and this is not someone in the yoga industry, it's more business coaching. And we were having this conversation about my beliefs around money. And without getting into all the details, what I'll share with you and what's really the point, because I don't really think you wanna hear about my background. (laughs) Um, The point though, that came out of it for me is that as much as I feel like I have a really healthy attitude about money and in particular, that's what we're talking about here. That's what I was talking about with her. I still found that there was another level of limiting belief that I had around it. And it was interesting to sort of realize that because I had done so much work, I have done so much work to move past a lot of the limiting beliefs that I had about money. 
And I know, you know, you're probably thinking, or I don't know this, but maybe you're thinking, why is she talking about money on a podcast for yoga teachers? Well, I mean, think about it. It is a factor in, um, in your life and my life in general. And certainly as we teach, it is an element of our teaching. What are we charging? What are we being paid if we work in a studio? Do we uh, know what our rate is? Do we value ourselves enough to charge what we're worth? So it's definitely a topic. Now, I may not talk about it a lot on the show. Um, however, it was something that came up in a recent um, conversation I'd had with a coach I was working with. And I thought it would be interesting to share with you mainly because I think it demonstrates, and it did for me, demonstrated the value of always having a coach to work with because you never really completely resolve and are able to get to the heart of so many limiting beliefs when you're just thinking about it yourself. And it's really through reflecting with someone else that so much progress can be made because you're essentially allowing yourself to be observed, you're allowing yourself to be heard. And it's with someone who is skilled um, in hearing and listening and in areas, skilled in areas where you want to gain skill. So for me, this is a business coach I'm working with. So she has demonstrated proficiency as a business owner as a CEO, as an entrepreneur, and that's why I'm working with her. And so when you work with someone like that, who's at a level that you want, that you aspire to, they observe you, they hear you, they reflect back what they heard, and they're able to allow you to see things clearly in a way that you can on your own. And so a parallel for this kind of thing is when you work with a coach as a yoga teacher. So when I coach yoga teachers, that's exactly what happens. You know, I'm able to see them, hear them, reflect back what they're saying, and then allow them to see where their limiting beliefs are holding them back. And that's really hard to do on your own. So on a personal level, that's something that I, you know, especially as my birthday was just last week, and then I had this coaching session, which was, um, you know, really a first one-on-one -on -one coaching session I had with this person. This is someone that I've been in a group coaching program with, but this was our first one-on-one -on -one session. So I think I just, over the past week, have been really thoughtful about not only my life, but my behaviors and my attitudes, and most importantly, what are things that I am not doing because I'm afraid? On some level, I'm afraid. And that's really what most of these self-limiting beliefs boil down to. They typically boil down to fear, that you're afraid of something. And so I thought I would share that, you know, as a way for you to think about this as it relates to yourself. You know, in what areas are you holding back? not just as a teacher, but in your life. Of course, on this show, I'm mainly focused on 
working with you and speaking to you as a yoga teacher. And there's plenty, <laughs> there's plenty that we can talk about where this theme uh, can be applied to your work as a yoga teacher. And I will say, you know, as a transition from this topic to uh, a more yoga centric topic, the coaching sessions I had in the past week with several of the teachers who enrolled in September in my signature program, the Yoga Anatomy Blueprint Learning Program, the coaching sessions I've had with them have been unbelievable. And I'll share one in particular. I don't think I had had this coaching session last week when I recorded this episode. Oh boy, maybe I told you this story last week. I don't remember. Well, I'll just quickly recap it in case you missed it. And um, it really had to do with working with a teacher who was um, somewhat unsure about cueing. And we did this exercise where I had her close her eyes as she was teaching me and we were on a Zoom call. And in, in getting rid of the visual stimuli of seeing her students, in this case, it was just me, she was able to really focus on what she was saying. And it brought a sense of presence that she didn't have when she was looking at her students. And it was really transformative for her. When we were done with that exercise, she reported that she felt really clear and confident around her cues in a way she hadn't before. So of course, we're not gonna go into teaching our classes with our eyes closed. However, there is something to be said about having specific techniques that you can use as stepping stones. So you can begin to build the internal muscle and co really confidence to be able to effectively cue. You know, for so many teachers, and this is why I love doing these coaching sessions with, with teachers, for so many teachers, it's not that they don't know what to say, and you may be experiencing this as well. It's not that you don't know what to say. It's just that there's so much emotion and fear and thought and, and, and sensation that gets in the way of you just saying it. And some of that comes with practice. However, in a lot of ways, it's really important to get to what the heart of the matter is there. And that's similar to the coaching session that I just shared with you that I had with this business coach I'm working with. You know, without her being able to cut to the heart of the matter by hearing my words and reflecting back to me what I was saying, I wasn't really able to see clearly what my blocks were. And this is very much what happens when I work with teachers in my coaching program. So uh, in my uh, uh, anatomy blueprint learning program. Coaching is part of it. You know, part of it is reviewing the videos in the course. Part of it is the practice portal that has the sequences, the manual and, and the coaching calls, all of that together. These are all the tools that I use when I work with teachers uh, who enroll. So I wanted to bring that up, you know, really to sort of pique your interest in what would in this idea of what would be possible for you if you worked with a coach, if you worked with someone like me who's experienced in teaching, what would come to the surface that 
you're not able to bring to the surface? And what would that free you up to be able to do? Matter of fact, I remember um, one of the other teachers who enrolled in September, she was uh, emailing me, she emailed me and said this metaphor that I used in last week's episode about having all this weight, when you teach this metaphorical weight, almost like it's a backpack that you wear with weights in it and relieving that weight, how would that make you feel? And and I was just thrilled. She sent me this and she's probably going to listen to this episode. She's going to know I'm talking about her. She sent me this email and she said, I love that that description, that metaphor that you shared about wearing the backpack. And it just so, you know, resonated with me. You know, these are the kinds of things, even if you're a newer teacher, (laughs) there are, there's so much that you can offer your students, but if it's coming through this filter of self-doubt, if it's coming through this filter of fear and worry and concern and um, feeling like you're not the expert and all of that, it just dilutes the whole thing. And it leaves you kind of in a puddle of nervousness and it leaves them somewhat confused. And, you know, it's not the fullest experience for either of you. So again, just piquing your interest, hopefully about what would be possible for you so that you take some positive steps forward to do this sort of transformational work. Um, And the other thing I'll say, which I've been really, just really excited about are all the conversations I'm having on Instagram lately with yoga teachers. So if you're one of the ones that's reached out with me, reached out to me or commented on one of my videos uh, lately, I want to just thank you for that because it's, it's great that there's a platform like Instagram where I can share content it just brings it to a whole other level when I can have engaging conversations with people back and forth with yoga teachers in particular. So I encourage you, if you're watching my videos on Instagram, and I know that you may be one of the people who is, because there's, there's like some of the same teachers that like my posts and like my videos. And yet, I don't hear anything from them. And I know because I'm on Instagram too, as a consumer, I don't always comment on someone's video. I just highly encourage you. If, if you liked the video and something stood out to you, can you leave a comment and let me know what that was? Can you add your own two cents? Can you ask a question? I mean, this is how we can really leverage this platform to be, um, Uh, just more rich and full so that it really becomes something that we can all use as a way to increase our learning, increase our confidence. So I just highly encourage you, you know, feel free to comment on my videos, feel free to DM me questions. I just am really loving lately. I, I just am sort of in a really good place where there's just a lot of back and forth and I just would love more of it. So feel free to do that. So for today's episode, I really just kind of have a grab bag of different topics. And some of these come from this Facebook group I'm in. I didn't pull them verbatim, but they're just common questions that teachers bring up. Some of them are coming from uh, emails I've gotten from students, I'm sorry, from teachers uh, or questions that have come up in these coaching sessions that I, that I have with teachers in my program. So there's, a, I don't know, about five of these. 
And as I go through them, maybe you will find that you have a similar question, or maybe it's something you hadn't thought of. And, um, and now that you're hearing it, you're thinking, yeah, this is kind of a question that I might have. So I'll just go through these one by one. And again, I just highly encourage you to send me a DM on Instagram or an email if you have further questions and you want to talk about anything that I bring up on today's episode in more detail. So the first question is how to handle feedback from students. And this kind of falls in the category of, um, you know, really interestingly enough, both, both positive feedback as well as feedback that you could construe as being not positive. I don't necessarily want to say negative. And, you know, there's also an added level to this feedback question that has to go in, that, ha that touches on your relationship with the studio. Because, because many times, and in today's world of Yelp reviews and, you know, um, people posting on social media to share an experience, maybe at a restaurant that they didn't like or a product they didn't like, there's oftentimes sort of a, a chain of complaint. <laughs> uh, and, and the yoga studios are not immune to that. So in this question of how to, how to handle feedback from students, there's sort of an inherent additional component that has to do with, and if the feedback isn't positive, and it gets to the studio owner, how do I deal with the whatever feedback comes back to me from the person who owns the studio, who's essentially paying me for teaching there. So let me just talk about a couple of things here. And you, know, you can think about it from the perspective of, there are things as a teacher that you can control, and there are things as a teacher that you can't. And I recently did a brief Instagram Live on this and I'll expand on it here. So this idea of what we can control and what we can't is really central to living a healthy life. It's actually grounded, if, if any, if you uh, have ever heard of Ryan Holiday or seen him on Instagram, he's a New York Times uh, best-selling author, and he's written a couple books on stoicism, which is apparently, I didn't know about it until I found him on Instagram and listened to one of his podcasts. It's apparently a, uh, a very old uh, philosophy, way of living, Think that goes back to like the Romans and the Greeks. And it has to do with, you know, really approaching the world with a strong sense of self-determination and, and living in a way where you're somewhat unaffected by all the things that are going around, going on around you. Not that you're unaffected, but you realize you don't have control over them. And in this realization, you I don't want to necessarily say find peace, but you're able to really put your efforts where you can make a difference. And so if we think about it as yoga teachers, when we go in and teach a class, we have no control over how the students in our class are going to perceive the class that we're teaching. We can't create a sequence that will force them to like it. We can't teach in a way that will ensure that they're going to love the class. So these are things that are outside of our control. What we can control, of course, is are we knowledgeable? Have we studied? 
enough to appropriately build a foundation of knowledge so that we can teach to the best of our abilities. Are we present? <laughs> you know, some of the basics, have we done self-care before we go in to teach a class? Are we fed? Are we hydrated? Are we rested? Are we centered? Are we grounded? Like those are all just, just standard things that we need to do and we can control before we go in and teach a class. And those, all of those things that fall into the self-care category absolutely impact our ability to effectively teach and of course are within our control. The issue of are we prepared um, from a knowledge-based perspective, that also is within our control. However, I will say, you know, there are many teachers out there that don't understand anatomy and continue to teach and then wonder why maybe some of the feedback they get, and even if it's not feedback, maybe their own feedback within their body is telling them there's something that's missing here. So that's what I mean about that piece of, are you in, not in control, have you recognized that you have the ability to take proactive steps to fill in any learning gaps you have? And then the other things that you can control are things like, of course, the sequence. What are you presenting your class? What are the cues that you're using? These are all within your scope of control. And then there's another whole piece which has to do with your intention. What's the intention behind the sequence you're presenting? What's the intention behind any interaction you have with a student? What's the intention behind an assist you might provide? What's the intention behind any question you might answer or any statement you might make to a student? So those are all things within your control. So let's say you uh, approach a student during class and they're in twisting triangle and they're looking like they're going to fall because they have their hand on the outside of their foot and you approach them and place a block on the inside of their foot and sort of motion to them to place their hand on that block. What if after class that student comes to you and says, you know, I really didn't appreciate that you suggested I use a block in that pose. I don't like to do it that way. I like to have my hand on the outside. That is something that happened to me. <laughs> I'm not just making this up. And so that's a perfect situation of my intention of approaching that student and putting a block on the inside was pure. The intention was one of being helpful. How that student interpreted my offering of the block is completely up to them and nothing that I can have control over. Now, in that situation, if that student then went to the studio owner and said, you know, Karen is a little overbearing in her classes and she suggested I use a block and I didn't need a block and I really felt singled out and I felt like it wasn't appropriate for her to put that block, you know, on my mat and that studio owner came to me, I would simply say my intention was pure. My intention was simply to be helpful. So this is what I mean about what you can and can't control. By the same token, if someone uh, writes to the studio that you work for and communicates with the studio manager that they don't like your class, your class isn't hard enough, your class is too easy, your class is, you know, whatever it is, whatever the feedback is, and then that comes back to you via the studio owner. Again, 
within the confines of what you can control, if it's something that you can have impact on, that's one thing. But in general, it's very difficult when, and really impossible when we're teaching a group of people to meet the expectation of every single person in the room. And so hopefully you're, you're working in a studio where the studio owner recognizes that and you're not being held to some standard where you're meant to change the way you're teaching to meet anybody's individual need because teaching in group classes is a group experience. And so your role is to present that in a group experience in a way that's accessible for everyone. Now, the one caveat I will say is that if you're teaching in a studio that requires you teach in a certain way, with a certain sequence, with a certain temperature, with you know a certain environmental thing, some studios want particular type of music played or no music played or don't play music that has words. I had a studio like that that I worked with. Um, you're going to want to adhere to those things. So if there is any feedback getting back to the studio owner that you're not adhering to the model that they want to hold out as the way they want yoga to be presented, that is on you to fall in line with that because you're working for that studio. If that's something that you're not comfortable with, well, then you shouldn't work for that studio. And that's definitely a decision I've made in the past. And I would encourage you to make as well, because you want to teach in a way that resonates with you. There are some places I would never teach because they require you follow a particular sequence, their sequence. And that at this stage in my life is not something that I want to be held to as a, as a standard. I want the freedom to teach the way I want. Uh, that might be different for you. So again, this is all what goes into any decision-making you have around where you're going to work. The other thing I would say about feedback, and this is sort of the opposite end of the spectrum, is when people come to you and say, or leaving the studio, they say, that was such a great class. Well, again, that's their perception. There could be another person in that same class who might've thought it wasn't great. So I think there's a Buddhist saying, or there's like a Buddhist um, story, something about good news, bad news. It's a story about like a, a, an older man and he has a man and he has sons and, you know, the son gets sent off to war and the neighbor says, oh, sorry to hear that. And then the son gets hurt more and he comes home. So it's a good thing. I forget all the details, but the, the premise of the story of the fable of the of the um, the story is that good news, bad news, they're all kind of the same. I think <laughs> I'm, I'm probably not getting getting it crystal clear. The point here, though, that I'm trying to make is when you get good feedback or quote unquote bad feedback, you kind of both have to let them roll off your shoulder. Because again, we don't want, I don't want as a teacher to be constantly swayed by the feedback I'm getting. I wanna have an approach that's built on solid knowledge and teach in a way that I'm controlling what I can control. I'm showing up authentically, my intentions are good. I'm in a space of being helpful to people. And that way I can go home at night and rest my head on the pillow or wake up in the morning and look at myself in the mirror and know I'm doing good work. How people perceive that is completely up to them. And in fact, it's colored by, it's influenced by their life experience. All of that 
that I talked about at the beginning of this episode that had to do with how I perceive money and some of my limiting beliefs around money and some of what I went through with my coach and then in my work with yoga teachers and some of what's come up in the coaching sessions that I've had with them, that's all their perceptions, right? And so as you start to uncover these things in your teacher development, in your life development, that's how we resolve these things. This is all of what we all walk around with all the time. You know, like for just about everybody on this planet, it's very rare that there's a person that's 100% living up to their potential because there's always something in the way. And our ability as individuals to see past that or through that is challenged. And so when your students come to your classes, you know, everybody has a different way of being and a different perception of things and will experience things differently. And it's all influenced by who they are and how they look at the world. And so that's why, you know, another good example is you may teach a class and think it was awful. You may be really nervous. You may feel like at the end of class, thank God that's over. I totally messed up. And someone might leave that class and say, oh my God, that was the best class ever. And you're sort of left standing there scratching your head. Like, how is that even possible that that person could think that when I think it was so awful? That's a perfect example of this whole thing as well. So remember, work to control what you can control. Of course, be aware of any standards and rules and guidelines that the studios have that you work in. But outside of that, if you're doing your best and you get feedback, I just gave you that one example. There can be lots of other examples. Um, you know, but if you're doing your best and you're in a situation where you get negative feedback from a student, take a moment, take a couple breaths, resist the urge to be in reaction and simply just remind yourself, you can't control how that person is perceiving your class. That's completely up to them. And as long as you can look yourself in the mirror and know that you're doing your best, that's all you can do. You know, you're not there, I'm not there. As yoga teachers, we are not there to change how we show up based on all the feedback we potentially get. Can you even imagine that? One day you'd go in and you'd be teaching a bunch of core because Sally wants core. The next day you'd go in, you'd be teaching restorative because Joan wants restorative. The next day you would go in and you wouldn't use any props because someone doesn't like props. I mean, this is, I mean, this is how it would go. Too hot, too cold, open the windows, close the, I mean, no. <laughs> I'm teaching the class, I'm showing up, I'm here as the guide, this is what we're gonna do. You know, and then as you get the feedback, there's nothing to say it's not, um, it's not important. I don't even wanna say important, important is too strong a word. There's nothing to say you don't hear that and think through it a little bit. It's just that I don't want you to make it about you. And I also want you to sort of take it with a grain of salt, especially if your intentions were good. So hopefully that helps on that particular topic, how to handle feedback from students. The next question is, 
around this idea of how to teach when you're nervous. How to teach when you're nervous. You know, this is a really common experience, especially for new teachers. It's common to go into class and feel like your stomach's in knots and not know how you're going to get through it. And so one of the, I have sort of two suggestions here, main suggestions to give if this is something that you're experiencing. The first thing has to do with your body, getting into your body, not in a way that you're hyper-focused on feeling nervous, but instead getting into the sensation of standing tall in your feet. So rooting into your feet. As you walk into the studio, as you're having those nervous knots, as your head is focused on being nervous, can you stand up tall, feel your feet on the floor and take three deep breaths? That shift from the focus on the nervous feelings to the focus of your feet on the floor, that is a really powerful and effective shift to begin the process of teaching your class so that you're not hyper-focused on how nervous you feel. So that's the first step. And then the second step, which you need to do shortly thereafter that, so within the next couple of minutes, is to look at the students in the room. This does not work if you're practicing with your class, which I've already said multiple times, I, I really dissuade you from practicing with your class. So the next thing that I want you to do is look out into the studio and really see your students, really see who's there, focus on their bodies and teach to what you see. What this does is it very immediately begins to shift your focus from how you feel to what you see. And you start to speak to what you see. And when you speak to what you see, you're connecting what you see with what you say. And pretty quickly, you're not gonna be thinking about feeling nervous. And even if you are, you've got this other focus in mind and it's what is right in front of you. This is really powerful, really, really powerful. And it's one of the many, many reasons that it's helpful, that helpful is too weak a word. It's one of the many, many reasons that it's critical for you to avoid practicing with your students because their experience of you as a teacher is enhanced when you really see them. And your experience of teaching will be enhanced when you see your students. And Further, your experience right now of teaching and feeling nervous, if that's something that is happening for you, will be, dis that nervousness will dissipate as you take on this technique. So, you know, without, there's a lot more I can say on this. I mean, yes, you can build up your skills. Yes, you know, you can, you can learn specific techniques for cueing that really, really help when you're nervous. I want you to focus though on these two things to start. And then the last thing I'll say is use action cues. When you're nervous, the last thing that I want you to do is give your brain more to think about. I want you to give your brain less to think about. 
So just give your students action cues. Step your foot forward, reach your arms up. Press your heel down. Push away from the mat. Center your hips. Drop your hips low. Hug your knees together. Step one foot over the other. Lift your back heel. Just really clear action cues. So those three things together, coming into the somatics of standing tall, coming into the parasympathetic uh, positive reaction in the body of taking three deep breaths, shifting your focus from what you feel to what you see, connecting your cues to what you see and using action cues only. Those three things, I really, really promise you will help you shift. And it's not that your nervousness will 100% go away. It's that you've got your focus on something else. And over time, even within the span of a 60 minute class, I bet that you will forget your nervousness. So if this resonates with you, I want you to try it and I want you to send me a DM on Instagram and let me know how it goes. All right. So the next thing is, this is kind of a fascinating one. The question is whether or not you should look at your students when you teach. So I'm just going to start out by sharing my technique. When I teach, I see my students very similar to what I just described in that prior conversation. However, I don't really look right at them in their eyes because I find that a little bit jarring to the nervous system for both me and them. It's, it's one thing if, I think it would be different if someone were asking questions in class or if you're doing like a workshop and you know you have a more loose environment where people can ask questions during the sequence. That's a little different, but in the context of just walking around the studio or standing in front of the students, I don't necessarily look at people right in their eyes. And the reason, as I said, I don't do that is because I find it a little jarring and it sort of can take people out of their practice. That's another reason why I don't usually, actually, I don't ever say people's names. Oh, Sally, I love how you're doing that. Oh, Jane, I, I love that modification you've got. Great choice, Bob, dropping your name. Like, I'm just not that, that's not part of my repertoire. I like to just be with the group, to just have it a group experience and to not sort of single people out. Now, you may have a different approach and you may as a student find that it's lovely when the teacher acknowledges you and you may find that that's kind of a caring, you know, warm feeling when you are acknowledged by the teacher. So again, this is my style and I encourage you to know clearly what your style is. The one thing I would say though, is that if you find that looking directly at, a, at students when they practice is a little bit jarring for you or just doesn't feel like it's part of your authentic way of showing up, that is totally fine. You know, there's nothing to say that you need to be doing this. I, I certainly, and I know I gave that other example of that coaching exercise I did where I had the teacher close her eyes. I wouldn't recommend you close your eyes when you teach. However, there's nothing to say. I mean, you're teaching a sequence, you know, you're in a dynamic flow. So there's nothing to say that you can't 
just sort of keep that flow theme going where you're not really looking landing your gaze for a long period of time at, at one particular person and you're certainly not looking right in their face so it's something to think about i'd be really interested to know it might not even be something that you're aware of you know how that gaze is is happening for you when you teach the the point of this particular question had to do with is it wrong not to look your students right in the face <laughs> And I would say it's definitely not a requirement for yoga teachers to do that. All right, so that's that one. The next one is an anatomy question, and it had to do, it has to do with uh, a particular, um, a particular syndrome or sensation or condition that some of your students may bring up to you. And it's sometimes students will say it's related to their to a muscle in their in their hip called the piriformis. And they'll call it different things. And when this question came up last week, when I was speaking to a teacher, I did a little brain refresher and, and, and looked up some of the research. And it reminded me of a particular um, breakdown of this. Uh, scenario, and I wanted to let you know about it just to make sure that um, you're aware and that we're we're all kind of operating from from I don't want to say from the facts, but from from the anatomy. So the way it comes up is sometimes students may say to you, "Hey, I have sciatica," and just from an anatomical perspective, let me just give you some of the basics of of this. So. If you envision the, the back of the body and the pelvis, and on both sides of the pelvis, there is uh, there are uh, about five muscles that are responsible for opening the hips or external rotation. And the five muscles are the piriformis, uh, the two gemelli muscles, uh, in, uh, two gemelli muscles, and then the two obturator muscles, internus and externus, and then the quadratus femoris. So piriformis, uh, gemelli superior, gemelli inferior, uh, obturator internus, obturator externus, and quadratus femoris. They're all in the back of the hip and they're responsible for external rotation. Now, the piriformis is the biggest one, I believe, of all of those. And the sciatic nerve runs through the piriformis. It, it runs uh, all the way down the leg. And I think it's even the longest nerve in the body. Now, when in some people for various reasons, if the piriformis is um, irritated or, or inflamed or um, yeah, inflamed or tight, it can compress the sciatic nerve and it can create a, a numbness or tingling down the leg. That scenario is known as piriformis syndrome, not sciatica. And this was the distinction that I needed to be reminded of. Piriformis syndrome simply is the compression of the nerve from some part of the hip down the leg. Sciatica, although it might present somewhat similarly, 
where the person has numbness and tingling down their leg. The origin of that condition, of that condition, is actually compression of the nerve in the lumbar spine. And I do believe I'd have to look up the nerve root of the sciatic nerve. I do believe it's somewhere in the lumbar spine. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for you and me as yoga teachers? Well, let's say someone comes up to you before class and they say, I have sciatica or I have piriformis syndrome. Number one, it's helpful for you to know the difference right? Because in one case, someone's got a hip muscle, the piriformis that might be a little irritated. And in another case, they might have, they, they have compression in the nerve at the lumbar spine. How that's going to change what you teach, probably very little, right? You're still going to go and teach that class the same way you were planning to before that person talked to you. However, in that moment of that student standing there talking to you, it's a great opportunity to say, how is this affecting your moving around? How is it affecting your practice? And that's a perfect entree for the student to begin to share what are some of the limitations and movement that they're having because of the condition that they have, whether it's piriformis syndrome or um, sciatica. And for both situations, physical therapy is usually involved. So ask them if they're seeing physical therapists. And if they are, ask them if you have some time before you go into the studio, ask them to show you some of the exercises the physical therapist is having them do. There's a high degree of likelihood that they're, gonna, uh, that they're going to be having them do figure four on the back. And that's something that you can definitely have them do in class when you get to the half pigeon part. Um, if there are other things their doctor or their therapist is telling them to avoid movement-wise, that's obviously something you want to know, and you can encourage them to customize the practice to meet their needs, given the uh, recommendations of their treatment team. So I just wanted to bring that up. It was something that I needed to be reminded of, and you know, there's obviously a lot more to that. This is a large part of the muscle review that we go through in my program. So as you're listening to this, if you're really feeling like this is a knowledge gap area for you, uh, definitely let me know and I can share more about how the program can help you. So that is that. And then the last um, question is also anatomically related. And it has to do with what do you do when someone comes up to you before class and says they have a herniated disc? So just like with the prior example of whether it's piriformis syndrome or sciatica, the main thing that I want you to remember is number one, same with me, there's no way I'm going to know about every single scenario that a student can possibly present with. I mean, I, I personally have a pretty good medical background from my background as in different jobs I've worked in and, and that kind of thing. And just my understanding of anatomy, that may be different from teacher to teacher. If, if you have a basic understanding of anatomy, that's one level of knowledge. And then there's all of how it applies to different clinical scenarios and diagnoses. Even with my background, I still, you know, obviously get hit with questions from students or presented with scenarios that students have <clears throat> where I don't know off the top of my head, hmm, let me think about how that, what, what are some of the variables that I need to consider? 
So here's the thing. Knowing that when a student approaches us and says, I have a herniated disc, you can always and should always ask a question right out of the gate. And that's the same question that I just said in the prior example. And the question is, how is this affecting your movement? Because honestly, it's really sort of, I'll put it in quotations, unfair for a yoga student to expect you as a teacher to number one, know all of the details of their injury or even know at a high level what their injury is about. So really the onus is on them as a student. You know, again, this gets back to that issue of control. It's up to them as a student to come to yoga in full knowledge of the condition that they have and that they're coming to yoga anyway. And the fact that they have that condition or injury or illness or whatever it is, is going to impact their practice in a certain way, either to cause them to avoid certain things or cause them to do other things. However, what we know is that people don't always take that responsibility. And that's why when they have these conversations with the teacher, it's oftentimes from the point of view of you tell me what to do. So what I always recommend is when a student says to you, in this case, I have a herniated disc. Okay, thanks for letting me know. Tell me, how is it affecting your movement? So right there, you're putting the responsibility back on them. And quite frankly, you're looking for critical information from them that will inform you as a teacher as to what you might want to recommend for them in the context of the practice. Because your herniated disc and my herniated disc are totally different, even if we have it at the same exact level in the spinal column. So this is why, you know, when, and, and the way I saw the question worded, it's like, you know, what do I do? I'm teaching this class and several of the students in my class tell me that they have herniated discs. You know, this, this, and you could sort of feel in the way the question was worded, this feeling of like helpless, helplessness on the part of the teacher. Remember, you are the teacher. Of course you want, I want to be helpful. However, again, back to what we can control. We can't control when students come to yoga practice and they probably should not be there because let's say in this case, they have a herniated disc that maybe their doctor has even said to them should not, you know, uh, is, is not a good scenario for a, a yoga class where you'll be going up and down a lot. We can't control that. So what we can control is gathering information from the student about how it's affecting their movement because movement is the common denominator. Movement is the common denominator. They're going to their doctor, they're going to their physical therapist, most likely they're coming to yoga class. Movement is the common denominator. They're getting out of bed, they're going into bed, they're getting in their car, they're getting out of their car, they're walking their dog, they're bending down to tie their shoes. They're reaching up to get something out of the top shelf. All of these movements, these are all the kinds of things that you can use as information about how this diagnosis, condition, injury, scenario is impacting their movement. And from there, you're going to get some good ideas 
even in those first few minutes before you go in and teach your class about what are some things that you want to suggest to them, maybe they avoid or maybe they modify. And then really it's up to them. So I think, you know, that's kind of the overall thing that I want you to keep in mind. You know, I think while I think it's admirable to want to meet everyone's need, number one, it's impossible. And number two, the best thing you can do is not only to ask that question to get information from the student about what, how it's affecting them, the next best thing you can do always is to teach highly accessible sequences. And I'll, I'll close this episode with that. To teach highly accessible sequences is always your best approach to mitigate risk of injury for all your students. And so this is always the theming that I recommend for all yoga teachers, unless you're teaching a specialty group or unless you just really decide, you know what, I love to teach things in a way that kind of brushes against the edges, whether that's end range or highly complex poses or really fast sequencing, you know, things that inherently the risk is a little higher. And I don't necessarily mean risk in a high degree of danger sort of way. Uh, you're for sure going to get hurt sort of way. Just there's a degree, right? There's a scale. There's a degree of all of these postures when it comes to accessibility. And I think that's sort of baked in. And, and I think you probably know what I mean there. So the more you go into all your classes and teach from the point of view of I'm teaching uh, uh, in a way that's highly accessible for most people, that just naturally mitigates risk, even for those with sciatica and herniated discs and folks that are older and folks that are deconditioned, whatever the situation might be. And that's why I always recommend that as, as the way. So I hope that you have found this helpful and I highly encourage you, you know, I'll end this episode with a call to action for you, especially as it relates to the beginning of the episode. If you're feeling the pull to really start to peel back some of the layers to understand what some of the blocks are in your teaching around some of these self-limiting beliefs that may be affecting how you show up as a teacher. Are you nervous? Do you feel somewhat uncomfortable? Are you worried about what your students think? Do you feel like an imposter? All of these things. You know, there's so much that I teach that has to do with the anatomy. And then there's all of what I just brought up that comes out in the coaching sessions. And that's why the teachers that work with me in my program have such a powerful transformation because it's not just about the anatomy. It's also about moving past some of these self-limiting beliefs. And it all, it all boils down to wanting to feel confident and strong when you teach. So if you're out of sorts in that way, if you're not feeling grounded when you're teaching, if you're nervous, if you're having this sort of out-of-body experience and you know that even if you don't know for sure you have the capacity to grow into that type of teacher, I know that you can. And that's one of the other important things. I know when I work with a teacher that the capability is there even when they don't believe it. And that's one of the other really wonderful things about working with a coach. You have someone in your corner 
who's there to stand up for you, even when you are in your doubt. So if this sounds interesting to you, my call to action for you is to simply send me an email, karen at bareboneyoga.com, or send me a DM on Instagram and let me know you want to get together on the phone. I'll give you a call. We'll do a Zoom call, either or, and I'll just share with you a little bit more about how we can work together and how I can help you. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I will be speaking with you again next week on the next episode of Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Thank you so much for listening and I'll talk to you soon. Namaste. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode. And thank you so much for being part of my community and for spending some time with me here on the show. I wanted to wrap up this episode with just a quick note. I have a brand new recorded workshop page, and I'm really excited to offer you an opportunity to watch recorded workshops whenever you want. I have the first installment of a workshop on the page on the website, and it is a short workshop all about how to give effective cues. And so all you need to do to watch this free workshop is go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, and you'll see the listing in the dropdown for recorded workshops. When you click that page, you'll see on that page, the link to sign up to watch that recorded workshop. I'll be adding more workshops in the future to this page, and it's a way that you can access educational and growth information for teachers without having to make a workshop at a particular time. I love to get together with teachers live, both in person and of course online, which is where I'm doing most of my interaction with teachers right now. However, I appreciate that sometimes people can't make a workshop or the time doesn't work for them or they're in a different time zone. So I want you to know that this page can be a resource for you so that as you're out there and you have questions about different things, or you have maybe a half an hour, 45 minutes that you wanna devote to your continuing education as a teacher, you can just go to my website, pull up this recorded workshops page, and there will be resources there for you to take a look at. And all of the workshops that I share are all designed at number one, giving you information, and number two, giving you the skills that come from getting that information. It doesn't do you any good if I'm just giving you information on anatomy. If I don't show you how you can use it in your teaching to grow as a teacher, to grow your impact, then it's really not very useful. So all my workshops will have that dual focus sharing a little bit, and then showing you how to apply it. So I hope you'll check that out. If you have any questions or feedback, definitely let me know. Just send me an email, karen at barebonesyoga.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and I look forward to hearing from you. Namaste.